turn with me, please, if you're not there already, to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Colossians 2, 6 to 15, get off of the bunny hill. What I really want to accomplish tonight, this is the main point that I see in the scripture passage, verses 6 to 15. Walk in Christ is the command. There are two commands given in verses 68, but in verse 6, walk in Christ. Why? Because of who he is, and it's, that's set up in the word for in verse 9 that we'll look at in a moment, and what he has done for us. So why should I walk in Christ? Because of who he is and what he has done for us. So we have commands that Paul gives us, two commands in this opening passage. I really want to try to spend most of our time in verses 9 to 15. Many years ago, and please don't get the very false idea that I am a skier. Um, I wish I could be. But many years ago when I first went skiing, you know, you get there to lodge and it's pretty intimidating to try to figure out skiing and how that all works. And so you watch a video, um, video how to put on your boots, video how to take off your boots, um, how to put your gear on, and then some basic instructions. You go out with your instructor for an hour. I forget everything that the instructor, I don't even remember if it was a guy or a girl that told us, but I do remember one thing, it was snow plowing. You know how you bring your, man, I became a professional at snow plowing, just tilting my, my, my skis in. And so I spent most of that day on that bunny hill watching little kids, you know, just zooming all around and kind of wishing that I could be like them. It really never happened. Next time I went skiing, I ventured up on the chairlift and was able to go up a little bit higher and making my way down. I think I fell more and rolled more than I skied, but it was an uh, interesting time, the few times after that that I went skiing. But the big thing is that skiing is, you're not to stay on the bunny hill. You're not to stay there the whole time. You're to progress so you can get off of it and then become skiers that can zoom down the mountain like my friend Ryan Edlin as I'm making my way down this one time. He's taking trails going up and then shooting down in front of me airborne all over the place. Um, we want to progress and that's really what Paul is talking about here in this passage is the principle of progress, of progressing. He wants to get the idea that we as believers should be progressing in the Christian life. We're not to stay on the bunny hill. We're not to stay in the starting gate, so to speak. We're not to stay on milk, as, as Peter refers to, but that we're to grow in him. And just briefly, to, to address verses 6 and 7, which we heard a couple weeks ago, I think on a Wednesday, um, Paul begins and really sets what he's about to say in verses 9 to 15 based off verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, the therefore, he's reaching back and he's explaining what has just been covered. So really, it's the context. Whenever we see a therefore, and you know it well, yes, what's a therefore, therefore? So we get back into the context, and we see in verses 124 through chapter 2-5, which is a paragraph, the main thought in that paragraph is chapter 1, verse 28, to be complete in Christ. Paul's team and we are to help others become complete in Christ. And that's what, what his heartbeat is, that we want to help believers to mature in Christ. Not, in the context of Colossae, not to allow the false teachers to make an impact in the believers at Colossae, but for them to grow in him, to become complete in him, to be able to progress and be what God wants them to be. So Paul continues to hammer this as we step into verse 6. Therefore... As you received, 
He's talking about something that's happened in the past. He's reminding his readers of a past reality because it's used in a tense that refers to past action that's completed. So as you receive, one day in the past, you heard the essentials of the gospel. You heard the essentials of, of the truth about Jesus Christ. As you heard this truth and heard of your need for a receiver, you embraced it. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the words he uses here, in Christ Jesus the Lord, some pretty powerful powerful words that you receive, that you put your faith in Christ Jesus. This, this term Christ is the Messiah, the, the Messiah that was foretold that would come in Jesus the Lord. Lord is a powerful, as he unpacks in 119 and in 2.9, who Christ is, Lord, that he's Yahweh. And that's really how this Greek word is translated in the Septuagint. Um, whatever is used of, of Yahweh is translated Kyrios, Lord. Jesus Christ is God. As you came to understand that who he is, that he came down to this earth and died on the cross for your sins. And as you embrace him and put your faith and trust in him, as you received him by faith, he says, now walk in him. Just as you received him, do the same thing. Walk as you received him. This past reality in their life was to have a, a present impact in their living. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, he says, walk in him as you received him. Before we progress, can I just ask in passing, because I know most of you here, I don't know, know all of you, and it's even harder with some of the masks, but, but, and those that are listening, do we know, do you know Christ Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to a place in your life where you're convinced that if life were done for you today, that you would spend eternity with him? He's writing to a group of people that made that decision as you have received, as you have gotten out of the saving business, not trusting in what you can do, but you put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done. As you receive them, put all of your confidence in him as your savior. Walk in him. If you have any questions on that, we would love to open up the truth of the scripture and show you the good news of Jesus Christ. That is not by what you can do, but it's by what Christ has done putting your faith and trust in his shed blood and who he is and his resurrection for salvation. But Paul moves on and he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's giving them now instruction, walk in him. Based on this past reality, you have received Christ. This was a, a, a fact done in the past. This is now how you're to conduct yourself. You're to walk in him. It's a figurative speech. It's one, it's, a way of saying this is how you're to conduct your life. This is how you're to lead your life. This is how you're to, to live. We are to live by Christ Jesus. So if we accepted Christ by what? What's that word? By faith. Now walk in him by faith. We're to walk in him the same way we received him. We're to trust him. We're to be submissive to his word. We're to believe that what his word says about who Christ is and how we're to behave and conduct ourselves, how we're to live such a life is by faith. If you look up through chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse, verse 12, it's just riddled with faith is used some seven times. Faith, 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 faith. It's a dominant theme. He wants them to walk by faith. And not always able to figure things out on your own. Not always able to get it, but I'm going to act this way because it's what God says. You know, the crowd may be saying one thing, but this is what God's word says. I'm going to walk by faith. And he's calling the Colossian believers to walk by faith. 
trust in him, live for him, live a life that's pleasing to him. You know, if you're ever watching, it's been a while since I've seen the long jumps in the Olympics or other events, but a skier comes out of the gate and he has that long jump. He comes down that ramp and he's go flying to see how he could go. What happens when he comes out of the gate? Do all people stand up and clap and say, well, that was a beautiful entry. That was awesome. Well, no, that's just the beginning. They're watching guy come zooming down that ramp and goes flying out. How's his form? Is he straight? Is he leaning forward? Is he off to one side or the other? Is he going to crash in his landing? Is he able to have a beautiful landing and really get out there far? That's when they then applaud. And then how will he continue? And usually it's, that's it for the long jump is basically. But, but how do you progress in the race? Paul is telling them to walk in him, progress. Walk, follow him, follow his truth. And then just briefly, as we're not really addressing six and seven much, but he gives four participles, rooted, built up, established in the faith, and then abounding with thanksgiving. The first three participles are passive in their voice. It's, um, it's really God doing the action. Man has a responsibility, but this is what God's doing. God's causing you to be rooted. God's causing you to be built up. God's causing you to be established. But there's a man responsibility too. We're to be involved in that, but God does that blessing. But here's what we are then to do. Bounding with thanksgiving. As we walk in him, may our hearts not get so cold or so consumed with problems that we forget to just abound with thanksgiving, to be grateful for all that God has done, grateful for his goodness to us, grateful for his faithfulness to us to, to keep looking and say, God, I thank you for your, for your grace. But moving on towards verse 9, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. See, Paul's concern for the Colossian believers to walk in him, and he's about to give the reasons why they're to do that in verses 9 and 15 where I want us to center. But he first pauses for a moment and he says, don't, don't be taken captive. Can we be taken captive as Christians? Sure we can. In 2 Timothy 2.26, it talks about unbelievers being taken captive. But here he's talking to the believers at Colossae. Don't be taken captive. Not doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation. But don't be influenced by the false teaching of the Colossians to get off track of the pure simplicity of the gospel. Don't be taken captive by their lies. Don't be taken captive by, by their statements. Stay true to the word of God. Stay true to the gospel. Don't be influenced by, by any of their false teaching or what you need to do besides simply putting your faith and trust in Christ. Don't stray for the simplicity of the word of God. Are we taken captive? What are you taking captive? What, what lies do you listen to Satan that, that he's able to penetrate your thinking and able to influence you and to alter your, your persistent putting your hand, hand to the plow, faithful Christian living for God? How is he able to influence you to lead you astray from walking in, in Christ? What does he use in your life to cause you to, to wander from, from the past so that you're taking captive in the sense that you're listening to his lies. You know, I'm amazed when I talk to, to, to guys, to young men, and all of the video games that they play. That was just after my generation, all the video games. But are you taking captive in video games? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a sports team 
where just hours a day is poured in. And we don't have time for the word of God. We don't have time for prayer, but we certainly have time for three and a half hours of some exciting new video game. Or we might think more about um, saving money for retirement than you do about how you can invest in God's kingdom. Do we think more about those of us that are in my age group? Do we think more, well, I got to save up for, for the future versus God? How can, I, how can I use what you've given to me to bless the needy, to bless the advancement of your word, to bless, those, the, bless the kingdom to advance your purposes and your cause? Or how about when maybe we buy into Satan's lie and we're held captive by, you know, I, I can't share the gospel because I'm timid. Um, I can't talk to this person about Christ. I'm going to leave it to, to those that know what they're doing. The point is, may we not be taken captive. But I really want to get to the reasons. Here's the heart of where I want us to be tonight, what Paul is centering on. Here's what, what he says. When we are in Christ, that we ought to walk as he walked. And now he gives us the reasons. And I thought our two songs that we sang prior to the message, in Christ alone and when I survey, just paves the way for verses 9 to 15. He gives us three reasons. Um, let me first look at who Christ is and then look at what he's done for us. So why should I walk? Why should I walk in him? Why should I obey the command of verse 6? Why should I obey the command of verse 8 to see that I'm not taking captive? God, give me a reason. You that are parents, you ever, you ever tell your kids to do something and they say why? They shouldn't say why, right? It should be first time obedience, but they say why. And you ever just give a one word answer? Because. I mean, you say, because I said it. Well, God doesn't do that here. God gives us a command to walk in him. And then in verses 9 to 15, he gives us the very reasons why we should do that. Look in verse 9. For in him. This word for could be better translated because or that. It's hotai. In the Greek, it's a purpose clause. For, or this is the purpose. This is why we're to do that. Because, and look at the reason. Well, what's the reason? And it's all about who Christ is. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here's why I shouldn't be taken captive. Here's why I should pursue God. Here's why I should want to live for him. Here's why I should want to walk in him. And he gets to center it all on who Christ is. For in him, in Christ dwells, in Christ resides, in him dwells, the deity dwells bodily. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You know, in this verse, Paul isn't simply thinking, and by the way, this is an awesome, <clears throat> awesome passage for Jehovah's Witnesses, for Mormons, for the cults, anybody that denies the deity of Christ. Um, you, you, you get right here. Here's clearly Paul is defending who Christ is. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells. He's not talking about a Christ-likeness, or I mean a God-likeness. He's not talking about some godly attributes. He's not call, talking about some nice godly characteristics. It says, in him, all of the fullness, everything that God was, everything that God is, was residing in Christ. Context, the Colossians had a false thinking that... Um, they believed that there was God, and then from God 
to man. There were whole steps of spirit beings. The closer you were, the more you were deity. And the further you got away, steps down, you're less, 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 less emanations of God. And that they thought Christ was one of those, just the higher beings, but not fully God. Paul is attacking that. This is why we should walk in who Christ is. For in him, the whole fullness, everything, everything that God is, everything that God, every attribute that he has resides and is present in Christ. For in him dwells in bodily form the image of the invisible God. It's all present in Christ. You might say, well, how does that change my life? When we don't obey God's word, um, whether it's in our, in our actions, whether it's in our words, whether it's in our thought life, whether it's in our desires, we're then stepping outside of the will of God and we're desiring something more. Is that thing we're desiring more, is it real or is it false? What is it? It's false, right? Anything that we want that's more besides Christ is false. It's a lie. It's not the real deal. So why are we stepping outside of following God and we have Christ in us? He says, for in him, in Christ, and Christ resides in, him, in us. You see all the connection verbs, I mean words, remember that? In him, with him, with whom? We're in Christ. We're in him. We have him. And yet when we step outside of him, we're, we're, we're going after fake things. It's like, imagine if you were to go, Kevin, you go to your boss and you say, listen, um, I don't need to be paid anymore in cash or, you know, real funds. Just pay me Monopoly money. Would you do that? <laughs> um, or how about, how many of you, you know, we have in our backyard when our grandkids were here, and they have in their backyard in Michigan, a little kiddie pool, like maybe this much. How many of you would prefer a kiddie pool to swim in in the summer over a nice, gorgeous in-ground pool that has one of those reality TV, waterfall landscapes that surround. Would you prefer the kiddie pool over that? Or how about, would you rather have a fan, you know, the fan you instead of central air conditioning? I mean, could we, we have the real deal. Would you rather go visit Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn instead of going to Israel? And by the way, we're still on Lord, Lord willing next year, um, June 18th, leaving for Israel. Um, a lot of things to work out yet. Or would you rather have an imitation watch um, if someone were to give you a choice, would you like an imitation Rolex or would you like the real deal? I mean, we want the real deal. We have Christ. And whenever we leave Christ, we're going after things that are fake. We're going after things that aren't real. In him we have. We get to walk in him. We get to be filled with him. We get to obey him. So Paul is giving us reasons. Here's why you should walk in him. You have Christ. Christ alone. You have him. Why do you want things that are fake, that are false? But now look in verses 10 to 15. He gives us, I see, three reasons here. Because of what Christ has done, and he gives us three things that Christ has given us. Remember what our top is? We want to walk in him because of who Christ is and what he has done. So why should I walk in him besides who he is? Look at what Christ has done for us. Verses, verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul writes and he says to, to the Colossians, you're filled in him. You're, you're filled. You have everything already. You, you have it all. 
You know, before we trusted in Christ as our Savior, we were far from being filled. We were spiritually incomplete because we were separated from God. God, God was far away. We weren't complete in him. We were, we were still searching. Or even if we weren't searching, we were deader than dead. We were lost. We were blind. We were separated from God. Not only were we separated spiritually, we were separated from God morally. We were incomplete because we didn't have the word of God to guide us. We were living outside of the will of God. We didn't know God's will. We didn't know how to live. We were just trying to go on good feelings or the image of God that was buried deep within us, having some moral training perhaps that we were guiding ourselves through life, but we were still morally incomplete. We're mentally incomplete because we don't know God's truth. We don't know God's word. We don't have the spirit of God to guide us. But that all changed. We became filled in Christ. This is what God has done for us. So why should I walk in him? Why should I want to, to follow him? He says because what he has done. And one of the things he has done, he's filled you. He hasn't left you empty. He hasn't left you partially complete. He's given you everything in Christ. We're spiritually complete because we're no longer separated from God. Isn't that awesome? That God is with us, that God allows us to become members of his family, that God dwells in us, that God is close to us. He calls us sons, that we're able to call him Abba Father. Secondly, that we're morally complete in him. We know the will of God. We get to make high choices. We don't have to live down here where where such filth and immorality just abounds around us. We're able to, not in a cocky manner, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of the word of God and what God has done for us, we're able to choose the high ground. We're able to be morally complete in him. We're able to be mentally complete because we know God's truth. It doesn't matter all of the brilliant Dawkins in the world who says there's no God. We know there is a God. We know the word of God says it. We're complete in him, filled so why should I walk in him? Because he has filled us in all that he has done for us. And yet many Christians, and I confess that sometimes I'm in that, we live like we're lacking something. We live like we're, we're missing something. We, we stray and we wander. We, we look for other things. We look for satisfaction in wrong places. But God is calling us to find everything in him, to be filled in him, that we are complete in him and to live as he wants, to walk in him, walk according to his standards and his, his will. Another purpose that I see because of what Christ has done for us is that we're raised with Christ in verses 11 to 13. And there's a lot here, and I, I confess I'm not really addressing the passage as I would love. Probably should be three, three messages. But because we're raised with Christ, what, what does that mean? Paul uses a couple figurative expressions here, circumcision and baptism, talking of our connection. Both of those show that they're not speaking of something physical, but he's speaking spiritually speaking. And circumcision we get from Romans 2.29 when Paul says, you are, one is a Jew who is not just outwardly, but one who is inwardly, circumcised with the heart. Stephen in Acts 7 talked about the religious leaders, they were uncircumcised in the heart. So one that has had the the, the hardness of the flesh torn away, his opposition to God, and we have become pure within, circumcised within, or as he uses the language to be baptized, that we have been baptized in Christ, we have that connection. It's not, not water baptism here, 
But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are so connected to him that we were buried with Christ and that we raised with Christ. But look at this, this phrase I want to camp on for a moment, that <clears throat> we've been raised with him. My eyes is, um, since I had cataract surgery, I can't get new glasses yet, so it's pretty tricky here. Um, it's somewhere I'm looking for where I have raised. Having been buried with him, in which you were also raised with him, in verse 12. So he says, we're raised with him. If we were raised with Christ, what had to be true prior to being raised with Christ? Prior to being raised, what were we? We were, we were dead, right? But he says that we were dead apart from Christ. He says that through Colossians. So if prior to me being raised, I was dead, do you think about that condition very often if you have put your faith and trust in Christ? Do you remember what it was like before you trusted in Christ? For some of us, that's a little harder because it's not like we had a great life of crime as young people raised in a Christian home. But still to be reminded biblically that I was dead in my sin. I was alienated from God. I was lost. Timothy 2, I was held captive by Satan. I was blinded spiritually. I had no hope. I was without Christ. All of these are penetrating terms that Paul defines that we were dead. We were outside. We were dead. Do we remember that that desperate condition? Paul says that ought to drive us to want to walk in him because Christ has raised us. And he wants these Colossian believers to get it. You're raised. Maybe it's good to be reminded of such words that Jonathan Edwards spoke in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit hath opened its mouth under them. If we would remember that, then maybe I would walk more easily with Christ. If I would remember that, God, I was on my road on, on the way to hell. I was apart from you, but you have raised me. I have been given new life. I've been raised spiritually. I was once dead in my sins. I was once separated from you, but I'm now made alive. God, you made me alive. You, you forgave me of my sins. God, I will walk more easily with you and obey that command And when I remember that. But there's another truth that Paul drives home here in verses 14 and 15 that he's emphasizing for the Colossian believers in their walk and giving them motivation. And it's that they share in his victory. In verses 13 or verses 14 and 15, he writes, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers of and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ or in him. By canceling, in verse 14, by canceling the debt. The word cancel means to cause something to be obliterated, to cause something to be totally demolished, to cause something to be totally blown apart. What is Paul highlighting? The complete destruction of, of our connection to our Adamic nature that 
called the old man in Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, that was causing us to be separated from God. It was broken. It was killed. It was put to death. It was obliterated. And how was it obliterated? It all happened at the cross. Look what he says. The record of debt. There was a record of debt. There was a certificate of debt. It was the law that we had broken. It was the law that we had offended. In fact, it says in Galatians 3, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So we had this debt. We had this law against us. It was a record. And as recorded, we had broken God's law. And it was this record before God that we were condemned. Well, Christ came on our behalf, and he says, he canceled it. It's that word obliterated. He destroyed it. Let me illustrate it with this. La Amistad was a slave ship in 1839 that was making its way from Cuba to the Americas, loaded with slaves that were stolen, kidnapped, in a, in a most wicked manner. Now, apparently the law had changed that they no longer, they were trying to make slavery civilized, no longer able to take them from Africa. Um, and so they had been kidnapped from Africa, gone to Cuba, and on the way from Cuba to the Americas, the men, women on board commuted, um, were able to take over the ship, mutiny, and they killed the thieving scoundrels that were um, selling them off to slavery except two of them. And they kept the two Spanish um, um, men that helped them. They wanted to direct them back to Africa. Well, they didn't direct them back to Africa. They directed them north to the coast of, I think it was Massachusetts. And they landed in Massachusetts. The ship was taken over by the American Navy and brought, um, brought to, um, to, to, to our shores. And they were charging the slaves as runaway slaves. As the case unfolded, there was just something there that they weren't runaways, and it was believed that they weren't runaways. And the judge eventually was um, listening to all the case, and they were talking about, eventually they found an interpreter that they were kidnapped from Sierra Leone, and there was a slave fortress in Sierra Leone called Lambanco, and that they were held captive there and taken from Sierra Leone to then the Americas. And eventually the evidence was overwhelming and they were to be returned back to, um, to Africa. Well, the defense in trying to keep them and runaway slaves made the case, there is no slave fortress in Sierra Leone. There is no Labanco. That's false. Well, the judge still went forth with it and released the slaves and went back to Africa. Meanwhile, the Royal Navy made their way to Sierra Leone, hearing of this case, Sierra Leone, and they landed their men on the shores of Sierra Leone at Labanco and let all of the slaves free, released all of them. And then their cannons from the shores blasted the fortress, totally destroying it. And he wrote to John Forsyth, who was the Secretary, um, our American Secretary of State, and said, you are right, sir, there is no slave fortress at Sierra Leone Labanco because it was obliterated. You see, that's what Christ has done for us. Christ has obliterated. Christ has destroyed the debt that was against us, that we no longer are to be held captive, that we are no longer, that we're imprisoned by, by this, but this cause. But look, it goes a little even stronger here. He says, the record of death that's against us, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Not only did he cancel the debt, not only did he crush it by the price that he paid, it then says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. 
By the way, the same word that's used up in chapter, I mean, chapter um, verse 10, rulers and authorities. I think a better translation, if I may humbly offer my opinion, disarm could be putting off or stripped. In fact, it's that word, same verb in 3.9 and um, another place that is used um, in verb form and noun form in this book translated putting off. So they were they're putting off. He, he put off or he stripped the rulers and authorities. Um, the background, a Roman emperor, I mean a Roman general, when he conquered an army and he wanted to humiliate the general that he had conquered in that army, they would march them captive into their, into their capital and they would be disarmed of all of their military wear and often um, stripped to be humiliated. This is the picture that we have here, what Christ did. But I don't think the emphasis is on defeating Satan and his forces as much as it is on our position that we have, that he's shown this is what he has done for us, that we have been made victorious, that we are victors in Christ, that the enemy has been disarmed. So why should I walk in him? Why, why should I obey him? Here's the reason, not only because of who Christ is. This is who he is. He's God. What I want to follow some, I wanted to say loser. That might not be real nice, but some losing thinking or loser attitude or loser suggestions. I get to follow the king of the universe. But then he gives us, here's the reasons here. Because we're filled in Christ, because of what Christ has filled us, because of what Christ has raised us from the dead, and because we're victors, we get to share, share in his victory. May we never allow the lies of the enemy, the, the lies of the enemy, to persuade us in our thinking. I want to be careful in what I say now, but I listened to um, what Pastor said about it would be a great service to come back on the 13th and have a time of prayer. Um, I get the, the hesitation of um, attendance with, especially if, if your immune system is sensitive and elderly and so forth, uh, but I wonder if, if maybe we have just listened to the lies of the enemy. Hey, you know, it's, you're still worshiping, man. You're, you're still giving. You're still faithful. You know, stay at home. It's okay. You know, I, I think Hebrews 10.25 is so powerful as the dozens of one another's in the Bible. It's time to get together and just to be involved in each other's lives again. But we're going to be careful. Or we're going to be cautious, but we just feel that, that heart cry. Or, or maybe the enemy lies and says, um, you know, you don't need to be involved in this particular ministry. You've been doing it for about 95 years. It's time for somebody else to step up and serve. I remember the first time I heard that on Long Island from this, this lady, it just like drove me crazy because she did nothing else in the church and the one little thing she was stepping down from, my heart ached. Uh, and, and I said, and I thought in my mind, Eleanor, may we never have done enough. When I look at all that he's done, filled in Christ, raised with Christ, victors, I have never done enough. It's never where I'm able to say, okay, it's time for someone else. Or, or you know, and I've been around enough that you, you hear, you, you, your heart aches when you hear, well, I don't come to church because they don't sing the songs that I like, or you don't preach the messages that I want, or the people don't greet me like, like um, I think I should be. <laughs> God, I want to come to worship you. I want to come to exalt your name. I want to come to make much of you. Let me not buy into this, this narcissistic lies and thinking, God, I, I just want to rejoice in who Christ is. I want to rejoice in what he's done for me. I want to walk in him and be found faithful. It's time to get off the bunny hill, isn't it? It's time to 
be what God wants us to be, to walk in Him, to desire Him, to put Him first in every aspect of our lives. I have just been, been loving, enjoying reading some 11, 1,200 pages of George Mo, or um, uh, Hudson Taylor, when I say George Mueller, Hudson Taylor biography. And one of the, at the end of the first book, he just writes this letter, and I forgot to bring the book over. Um, but he writes at the end, you know where his heart is so aching for people to come to China to be missionaries and just to, to spread the gospel and how God is using him to grow thousands of people to Christ, lead thousands of Christ, and growing a missionary movement. But he talks in this end of it, he says, you know, when I look at the labors, there are so few. I look at what Christ has done for me. He says, my heart explodes. He says, if I had a thousand shillings, I would give it all to the Lord. He says, if I had a thousand lives, I would spend them all for China. Because that was a man that was so in love with God and what he has done. May that be true of us. May we be so in love with, with God that we, we know Christ. To think that the God of the universe came down so that I could be victorious. The God of the universe came down so that, that I could know him, that he would defeat the evil one on the, cro on the cross, that I would be a victor in Christ. May I spend my life living for him, not for myself. God, we love you. We thank you for your, your goodness to us. Thank you that we are in you. God, may we not forget the truth of songs like in Christ alone. We may not forget the truth of a passage like this that we are in him, we are with him, that we're in, in Christ. God, what a privileged position that we have. God, may we often step back into the shadow of the cross and be reminded of all that Christ endured for us, of what he accomplished for us, that we were raised in him, that we were dead, that we were filled, that we have everything in Christ, that we share in his victory, that we are victors with Christ. God, may we not be, to borrow the words of Peter, like a dog returning to his vomit. May we not go back to a, a previous lifestyle or sinful, wicked um, thoughts or desires or actions or words. God, may we be, keep progressing in, the, in our spiritual walk to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed, friends. May you go and walk in him this week.